0: Uh, well it's uh Genesis 1, verse 1, it's page 1 of your any Bible you have here. So in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, was good. And God separated the light from darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse of, in the midst and the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. Yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, yielding seed according to their own kinds, and, bear, and trees bearing fruit in which in their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let, there, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens and give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. The greater light ruled the day and the lesser light ruled the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breed of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day.
1: This tells you where everything came from. I have the great privilege at university to read through various scriptures uh, with students from all around the world, and, and most of whom have never even read the Bible before. We just sit together in a circle and read different scriptures. One day we read the passage that we've just had read for us today Genesis 1 1 to 2 3. And as usual, I, I sat back and then waited to hear what the students all thought of that scripture. This is beautiful, one of my Buddhist students said. Curious about that, I asked what exactly she meant. Her friend, also a Buddhist, uh, replied for her. She said, this tells you where everything came from. I've heard a lot of things about this first page of scripture over the years, most of it from Christians, of course, and, and much of it very, very impassioned. Um, but I think those two students who, who'd never seen this text before, I think they absolutely nailed this. This is beautiful. This tells you where everything came from. Sometimes as Christians, are uh, I think we take for granted what we've already been taught, almost as if our sense of wonder we just kind of lose it as as our faith grows old and of course so too we, we forget what others don't even yet know. I'd love to zoom right into this scripture here and engage it microscopically today, or to digress into uh, some of those things Christians seem to like debating around uh, this text. But I'm going to refrain from both. Instead, I just want us to to revel today in, in the core truth, the basic truth that those fresh eyes I just mentioned could just so easily see. This is beautiful. It tells you where everything came from. And if we can look at it like that for a while, then maybe we can also then think about why this is so important for us today. Uh, But let's just take a, a simple look first at what it actually does say. Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth that there I think catches the thrust of this scripture for us today and what the second of those two students had said the very first truth of scripture is that God created all of which we can therefore now call creation the heavens and the earth is the Bible's way of saying everything and all of it had a beginning because all of it, everything seen and unseen by us, as we said in that creed before, all of it was created by God. This very first page of scripture is here to tell us where everything came from. God. God. And so perhaps we could even read it with that kind of thought in mind. Go a second pass over this scripture later on, if you like, and try to, try to read it with that emphasis on God and, and catch that great truth and see just how deep it does run here. It'd be something like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God separated the light from the darkness and so on and so on it would go. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters, and it was so. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, and it was so. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and it was so. God made the two great lights and and all the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens. God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. Let birds fly above the expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, every winged bird, God. God blessed them. Be fruitful. Multiply. God said, "Let, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And it was so. God made the beasts and the livestock and everything that creeps on the ground. It was God. Yes, clearly this is trying to convey to us that much, that everything came from God. Except of God, of course, because he created it all. 35 times uh, I counted, I might have been wrong, but 35 times God is mentioned in these 34 verses we've just had read to us this morning. And not counting uh, all the pronouns pointing to God, but about half that many times again, if you were to do that. Yes, everything came from God. It's a very clear scripture, isn't it? And it sets out a very clear distinction to put everything in its place. Because there is God. On the the one hand, there is God. And on the other hand, there is everything else that is not God. And all of that everything else, he created. And in all that, I think is what lies, what the first of those two students had said, this is beautiful. The sheer beauty of this truth because God lovingly did all of this. All of this that we so easily just take for granted or or even ignore in our our routine and regular day. But God did what was good running six times through that text. God did what was good because God is good. The sheer wonder at uh, creation uh, and, and God who created creation that that those two Buddhist students felt that 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 sense of wonder should be even stronger in our minds, brothers and sisters, as we live out our lives under God. And, And it should only continue to grow all the more wondrous for the rest of our lives. And the more it grows, the more it will clarify our whole way of thinking about us and about God, our theology, that this truth here will set everything else in our thinking in place. Because this truth sets up God's sovereignty, his authorship and his authority, therefore, are over all things, whether seen or unseen, everything in his creation. He has the right to rule his creation. He has the right to do with it as he wills. And yet at the same time here, it shows us his love and his purpose and his order and and his goodness in creation and his providence for his creation too, mind you. If you look again at verse 29, God said to man, Behold, I have given you Every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with uh, seed in its fruit, you, you shall have them for food. And to the animals too is providence, verse 30. To everything that has the breath of life in it, God said, I have given you every green plant for food and it was so. God is the sovereign creator and provider of and, and for all things. and We cannot make sense of scripture either without this first great truth here about God because everything the Bible goes on to reveal after page one here is predicated upon this. So we read in places, just for example, places like Isaiah 40. I'll read a few chunks and catch the same sense here that we're looking at of God's sovereignty and and the implications of that sovereignty of God as I pick out a few chunks from Isaiah 40. First, some rhetorical questions in, in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Or a little bit further in that chapter. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it and, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not write and he seeks out a skilful craftsman to set up an An idol? will not move do you not know do you not hear has it not been told you from the beginning have you not understood from the foundations of the earth it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers He who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in is he who brings princes to nothing and and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. The Implications of his sovereignty, you see, or even a bit later in that chapter. Why do you say, O Jacob, and and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why? Why? Why will they mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint? Because the God that they follow is the sovereign Lord who created and governs all things. Which brings us, I guess, in Genesis 1, if we come back to our text, to a a second beautiful thing we see here in all of this about man. Man. While we think through the implications of this, we come to think about man as the pinnacle of God's creation. He created everything with such order, as I'm sure you noticed in that reading, separating things out and and making things according to their kinds. And through that order, he created for relationship too. Relationship. The language gets a lot more personal in the middle of day six, if you notice, down in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. How beautiful this scripture truly is. We came from god too and created by him with with special with with unique purpose in all this to to rule over his creation bearing his image here on earth so there is a great exaltation of humanity here uh, above all other created things and and yet a humiliation too obviously isn't there because Even so, we too were but created by God. Out of dirt, as chapter 2 will go on to say. It's quite humbling, isn't it? Uh, So you've got those two beautiful tensions here about humanity. Everything we are was given us by the sovereign God. And yet God has given us something truly wonderful and unique. So I think we could read back through this text later a third time, if you like, and and emphasize on that pass-through all the separating that God does in creation, putting everything in its place. And, And across the whole chapter, what all of that does is put us in our place, only created beings to live under God and yet created to be above the rest of all of his creation. Inevitably, then, a very certain relationship is established and a, and a relationship dynamic is established too between God and man. We are his workmanship. His is the right to rule our lives. Ours is the joy to live for him. It's not just our theology that this affair, Our whole purpose Brothers and sisters, our whole meaning in even existing is of the sheer sovereignty of this God. And within that special relationship and, 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 and having it there set for us there in place like that, the relationship between God and humanity, everything was now very good, says God, at the end of day six in verse 31 god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day thus chapter two goes on thus uh, by god's beautiful and purposeful and creative word i think that is thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. How many times there can it find a way to say, this is all of God. Once you see these beautiful first truths of scripture on page one here, you'll see them running right through scripture. Like in Isaiah 40 that I read from before, the, the implications of this first truth are everywhere. So our goal, I guess, in this new series, this term, the Council of God, as we're calling it, is not to work through random ideas of Scripture or ideas that we just felt like preaching, but rather fundamental ideas, and fundamental ideas according to Scripture itself. And you can't get away from this as fundamental Bible truth. Uh, however, you try to add up the basic message of Scripture, uh, what I'm going to call, you know, for convenience, your your framework of how this all hangs together. There's just no getting around that you simply have to include this. Without this truth here on page one, the the rest of your framework, however you try to put it together, sorry, it's going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart. And see, the problem with neglecting this truth is as uh, so easy it is to do, and many in the world are prone to do, or or simply not having heard this great truth before, as in the case of those two students I mentioned before. Well, the problem with that is that we otherwise then end up with a framework that fails to know the one true God. And that is ultimately going to make us uh, make something else out of what he has created into our God, or or it's going to make us make ourselves into gods of our own so the, uh, the church must preach this great truth uh, because there's a great many people out there who still don't know this great truth and uh, many in the church too who, who haven't for whatever reason really caught full hold of this truth yet there's plenty of people who, who are actually running under quite a different fra- well a very different framework if they haven't got this isn't it a different framework that's eventually going to collapse on them and which in the meantime is, is setting up all kinds of disastrous things. But chiefly, without the place of God in this first great truth, well, well, man tries to rise up above God, is what we instinctively do. Man tries to rise up and take the place of God in our lives you can see examples of that everywhere in society and i was thinking i don't even think i need to explain that one but but this is the reason behind that great disaster they haven't factored this into their framework that this god is sovereign as the creator and provider of all things he is god and we are all but of his creation and so too, though, without the purpose God gave us written in this first great truth, what happens? Well, man tries to recast humanity inevitably as something less than what we are. Man tries to recast humanity as less than what we truly are. So, so, so there's a lot of people today who are, who are losing sense of, of the identity and the purpose and and the place and 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 the meaning and the dignity and the value and even the gender in humanity is all being lost because they have not taken stock of this that we were created in his image by his design and for his purpose that we live under him and yet carry out his loving care and rule over his whole creation as as his representatives here on earth. People are living for just about anything but that. And it's very easy to then sort of just justify our actions, if you throw out this truth, justify all of our choices and actions and beliefs on the misconception rolling around otherwise that we are no more than Mere animals. I guess we should try to boil all this down uh, somehow. Getting God right and getting us right is vital if we're going to interpret life right and and live it well. We'll never truly understand ourselves. We, We won't understand anything in this world if we don't get this right. But when we do get it, we we slowly start to realize that wait a minute everything that we see everything we see, whether it's a bird or a tree out there or or even the metal and glass in that door over there everything can be traced back to god he created all things and everything we can't see too mind you as we reflected on in that creed before. The Bible goes on to suggest that that at at any given time we might be surrounded by, by protectors that we just cannot even see. Jesus said in our series in Matthew not long back, our angel always sees God's face in heaven. He is withholding great evil from us all the time and granting all kinds of blessings to us all the time, most of which, though, we fail to even notice or, or even consider because we sort of run on a, on a different scale. But, but it is all, and it is always in his hands. And we will more and more understand all these things, both seen and unseen, as, as we more and more come to appreciate this first great truth here on page one of his word. That God is sovereign. Everything is under his purview. He, he governs everything he has made. And so to the second truth that then opens out here shows us our place. We, we are more than just animals or, or anything else for that matter. Uh, and yet also we are created by God. That, that shows us where we fit where we fit in in the grand scheme of everything. Isn't that wonderful to know, if you stop and think about it? This This is the slot in which our lives were designed to be lived, under this God, but above everything else in this world. As I say, without this twofold truth, we're not going to understand the rest of God's word and, and therefore the things that we hope to move on to in coming weeks, that the rest just won't add up if we don't lock this part in first. And in particular, I think today we might note that without understanding this here on page one, without understanding the, 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 the infinite creator and, and creature divide, and the proper relational dynamic that therefore is fitting between God and Man, nor will we catch, I don't think, the sheer gravity of Jesus. Jesus and and what Jesus did. The eternal Son of God became man. The unseen God became seen by becoming incarnate, taking human form on here on earth. No one has ever seen God. John chapter 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says, and, and by which fact we can now know this God... All the more. That's not going to hold all its wonder for us that it should hold unless we first lock this in on page one. The infinite distinction that existed and had to exist, of course, between the creator and his creation, which he chose to overcome. He took on something of his creation into himself. But so too, of course, he did that for a reason, didn't he? He did that to die on a cross for the sin of man. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people all things that we hope to go on with in this series but for today he, he took on our form so that he could take on himself in that form our judgment the judgment that is required for our sin against him that can only really uh, find our proper sense of wonder if we have first caught here on page one the sovereignty of this god who created and governs all things. So this first truth that sets out with such clear distinction both God and his creation and and sets up for us the the relational dynamic that has to be therefore between God and man, it also, as I say, informs all the later truths of scripture that flow on. Everything we hope to look at in this series in due course, things like sin and, and forgiveness and renewal and and church and and glory all of it is predicated on this but more foundationally i think and and for day's today's purposes i think it uh, should first check us in the sense of who we are this should first check the autonomous pride that we all kind of carry to some extent as sinful rebellious human beings when we understand his sovereignty and, and when we understand our place, we will surrender and we will sit under and, and we will truly then worship our God. And only, of course, our God. So we best pray this word has its way with us today even today so that our hearts aren't in any way cold against this awesome god let's pray heavenly father we always thank you for your word to us in scripture and so we thank you for this word here today we pray that you'd help us to better grasp the truth here in this word we've been looking at and as we do that we we have to just say thank you father thank you for all that you have done and and continue to do in our lives to the tiniest micro details in our lives that we so easily ignore we concede that this is all in your hands and so we say thank you for all these things and we pray help us to see that that all things do sit in your hands that even time and space are in your hands rewire us with this truth here father wherever needs be in our hearts to better live by this word and the truth in this word so that so that we would properly receive your counsel in in the depths of our heart across all of these scriptures lord reshape us first by this and and make us new by this to live according to your will More and more we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.